0: you are our cornerstone father thank you for the help that you give us each day and each moment father we pray that you will guide us that we will follow the path that you have laid out for us and it is in jesus name that we pray amen amen well we're glad that you're here today at garden way church or if you're joining us online we're glad that you're meeting with us as well And we hope that God will bless you for your decision to worship with his family today. Recently, during the pandemic, one of the things that I had a chance to do was watch the uh, biography, the uh, documentary about Michael Jordan. Six NBA titles, five MVP awards, ten scoring titles, Fourteen all-star appearances and many, many last-second stellar shots. Michael Jordan's legacy on the basketball court is unmatched. But for Michael Jordan, now in his 50s, life off the court really hasn't come to have the same accolades for MJ. The Hall of Famer during the... uh, Documentary that I mentioned stated, I would give up everything now to go back and play the game of basketball. Jordan used to have an insatiable drive to prove himself on the court, and he still has that kind of same intensity, but he just hasn't found full significance or security or satisfaction now that he's given up the game. When he travels, Mr. Jordan has a code name that's given to him by the private security team that accompanies him, especially on overseas trips. Their code name for him is Yahweh, and we understand that. That is God's name for the great I Am. One ESPN writer who follows him closely says, Jordan is used to being the most important person in every room he enters, and going a step forth further in the lives of everyone he meets. People cater to his every whim. His self-esteem has always been, as he says, tied directly to the game. Without it, he feels adrift. He has been running, moving as fast as he could, creating distractions and distance. In 2009, when he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame, Jordan called the game of basketball his refuge, the place where I've gone when I've needed to find comfort and peace. Well, let me ask you a question. Where do you go to find comfort and peace? What is your refuge? Are you looking for peace through another person? A possession? A political position or some kind of pleasure? Are you seeking your worth perhaps through your work? Have you ever noticed how many times people answer the question, how are you, with this phrase? Oh, I'm busy. I'm crazy busy. Maybe somebody will say, we've been going a hundred different directions for the last month. And it's almost like we need to to validate our lives by letting people know how busy we are. That reminds me of a, a song sung by Archibald on Veggie Tales. Maybe if you've seen Veggie Tales, I don't know if you have, I've seen it a lot. Archibald has a song that goes, I'm busy, busy, dreadfully busy. You've no idea what I have to do. Busy, busy, shockingly busy. Much, much too busy. Or you. Sometimes when I bump into somebody at the grocery store or at the mall or somewhere in the community and they haven't been to church in a while, you know what the number one answer they give me is? Oh, we've just been so busy. Busy, busy, busy. Well, for our next message today in our series that we've called Don't Just Tread Water, we're going to look to a song about busyness and labor. So, we're gonna be in Psalm 127. We're looking at the first two verses, just the first two verses this morning, and I'd like you to join me in reading Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, they who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Well, Psalm 127. You might remember that this psalm is one in a series of songs called the Songs of Ascent. We've talked about how Jerusalem was located on a high hill, and whenever someone traveled to the city, they would go up or ascend towards Jerusalem. And there are 15 songs of ascent, beginning in Psalm 120 and going through 134, and we've been working our way through these. These were songs when worshipers would head to Jerusalem for one of the three main Jewish festivals that they would sing together in groups as they traveled. Another interesting place where these songs were sung were by the Jewish priests who were known to sing these songs as they walked up the steps of the temple in preparation to labor or work in the temple. They would sing a different psalm on each stair as they ascended up to the high place on the temple. And then as we think about applying to to us in a more general sense, this This section of psalms helps us to go up or to grow in our faith. Now, this particular psalm, Psalm twenty one twenty seven, is written by King Solomon. Now, you might remember that his father, David, King David, wrote about half of the psalms. But Solomon himself wrote at least two of them that we're aware of. In 1 Kings 4, uh, in verse 32, where it's talking about Solomon's life, talks about how he was a a prolific author of Proverbs and a songwriter. It says, he also spoke 3,000 Proverbs and his songs were 1,005. This song is one of those 1,005 songs. This particular psalm kind of reads like a proverb with each phrase standing as as a memorable kind of a maxima statement. As I mentioned, we want to look at just the first two verses this morning. And the first step that we take when we want to study the Bible and we want to, is to read the passage. And we've read that passage already. The second step then is to make some observations. And so here's a few observations that jump out to me. The word "unless" you see it up there in red. The word "unless" is used twice, and that word is a uh, oh uh, a word that is a word of condition all right? It's, it's the idea that um, something important is about to, to be said. So, unless, it's a very emphatic term. And then next, you'll see three words that are very similar in meaning. You'll see those words in, uh, what color are they in? They're in green, all right? And we see the words build and labor and toil. Those are all words having to do with work, And then I want you to notice the word vain. Notice that it comes up three times just in this little section. You see that in blue. The word vain can be translated emptiness or uselessness or worthless or without result. And so as I reflected on this passage... As I was thinking about it and preparing this message, I came up with what I thought could be a good summary statement. Here is it on the screen. It says, unless our labor is for the Lord, our lives will be empty. Unless la- our labor is for the Lord, our lives will be empty. And so let's kind of think about that statement this morning, and I want to explore that from kind of three different angles, three words, significance, security, and satisfaction. So let's first look at significance. Look at the first part of verse 1. It says, Unless the Lord builds. Now, I would think that we all want our contribution in life to count for something. For our life to leave some sort of a legacy, to have some sort of meaning. Unfortunately, too many people seek significance apart from the Lord. And as a result, Solomon says, those who build... It labor in vain. Maybe you've seen a bumper sticker on somebody's car. I saw this one and it said, Work fascinates me. I can sit and watch it for hours. Isn't that great? Here's here's another one. I know some of you will agree with this one. Dennis, how about you? The worst day of fishing is better than the best day of working. And then here's another one I've seen. Hard work may not kill me, but why take a chance? And so our our culture has some confusion about work. On the one hand, we have people that are workaholics. They work and work and work and work until they drop, and then they're gone. And then there are those other folks. They're not workaholics. They're work-abhorics. They abhor work. And then in the middle, the majority of people kind of follow the philosophy of another bumper sticker I saw that said, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Well, while some people love their jobs, others can't stand what they do for a living. For some, a career has become the altar on which they have sacrificed their lives. Work can very easily become our new religion, And that can include our work in the marketplace, in the workplace, or the work in our homes, or work focused on our favorite hobby or activity, or even the work of raising kids and grandkids. Someone has said that we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. But that's not how God set things up, is it? Our work was never designed to take first place in our lives because work is a terrible, terrible determiner of our self-worth. Now, King Solomon, who is the author of our, our psalm here today, he kept a diary that you can find in your Bible. It's called the Book of Ecclesiastes. And in that diary, he came to understand that our work was never designed meet our deepest needs. In chapter 1 he says, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? In chapter 2 he talks about his own life and he says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. And then just a little farther in chapter 2 in verse 11 he says, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it and behold, All was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And so while we might get tired at our job, or maybe we're even tired of our job, the Bible teaches that work has an intrinsic value. And there's two reasons for that. First of all, God is a worker. Did you know that? God is a worker. That's how he first reveals himself in Scripture. In Genesis 1.1, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. And then in chapter 2, he calls that activity work. Listen to this verse in chapter 2 and verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And then, of course, we know that God didn't then just stop working, he kept working. In John chapter 5, Jesus, speaking about himself, says, my father is working until now, and I am working. And so God is a worker, and then secondly, we're called to be his co-workers, his co-laborers. In Genesis Chapter 1 in verse 26, it says that man is to have dominion over the creation. And in chapter 2, it says that Adam was placed into the garden to work it and keep it. And I want you to notice that this work was given to Adam before creation was cursed because of his sin. God planted the garden and he had man cultivate it. This was a partnership that God intends to continue on until today. God gives to us, and then we manage what we've been given. We're co-laborers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, we are God's fellow workers. The Hebrew word for work is also translated as worship and as service. Isn't that interesting? Worship and service. So God has always intended our work and our worship and our giving to be a seamless way of laboring with him. Adam worshiped God by doing work that he was given to do. And we do as well. When we labor out of love for our God, we put on a display of God's genius That He has created each of us uniquely to do different things, to have different skills and abilities. And when we work in concert with Him, according to those gifts and abilities, God is glorified. And we are fulfilled. And that's what He's made us to do. In Colossians 3, Paul says, "Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus." giving thanks to God the Father through him. But, tragically, with the entrance of sin in Genesis 3, this partnership, this co-laboring, became distorted, didn't it? Adam and Eve became self-centered, and with the desire to take instead of to give, the desire to dominate instead of to serve, the desire to hate instead of to love, and in addition, because of the fall, in Genesis 3.17, God says that work would now involve painful toil. And then in verse 18, he says that the work will no longer be completely efficient because it says he would, the ground would produce thorns and thistles. And so the challenge for us is to realize that even though labor can be hard and challenging, we've been designed to work in tandem with God, not just for ourselves. I read a story about three men who were digging a foundation for a building. When they were asked what they were doing, the first man said, I'm earning money to feed my family. The second man said, I'm earning money so that I can go out and party this weekend. And only the third man captured the architect's plans for the structure that he was preparing when he said, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. Well, how about you? How do you see your work, your activities, your hobbies? Are they avenues to promote the purposes of God? Or are they things to serve yourself? You see, unless our labor for the Lord is for Him, then our lives will be empty. But when we work with Him, allowing Him to do His building through us, that's when we find significance, real significance. And so, in addition to significance, then we need security. Now, security has always been a concern for the Israelite people. They have been continually surrounded by enemies who would like to wipe them out. That's true even till today. Even in today's modern Israel, they live on high alert. In the ancient times, when Solomon wrote, the city was surrounded by walls and there were elevated towers at various points where watchmen were on duty 24 hours a day, watching out. To provide security. As I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, we live in an awful insecure society today, don't we? We have distrust of law enforcement. We have worries about a virus. We have an uncertain political climate. Our whole world seems out of whack right now. What are we to do? Well, we can become more vigilant and more watchful living our lives constantly on the lookout for the next attack or the next villain or the next virus. We can do that. But as the second half of verse 1 says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You see, no matter how hard we strive to find security and peace and health, apart from the Lord we will always be in a precarious position. But when we recognize that he is on the lookout for us, that the Lord is our watchman, that's when we can rise above the insecurity and fear and doubt that swirl about in the world. So unless our labor is for the Lord, our lives will be empty. But when we work with him, we'll discover significance. And when we learn to rest under the Lord's watch, that's when we'll find real security. And then there's one more, one more benefit. Significance, security, and then finally, satisfaction. Satisfaction. In verse two, we see a picture of unhealthy desperation. It is in vain that you rise up early. And go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Here, do you see what Solomon's doing? He's describing someone who's all stressed out. They're not sleeping well, they're not enjoying their food. The term anxious toil has to do with emotional and physical pain. Solomon wrote a a similar statement in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 in verse 22 when he said, What has man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. His summation, this also is vanity. Here's the principle God gives to those who have learned to trust in him, not to those who are trying to do everything by their own strength. Are you having trouble sleeping at night because of anxiety and stress and worry? Perhaps it's because you're trying to handle it on your own. Instead of trying to get our our satisfaction from our jobs by working harder and putting in more hours, or instead of seeking answers to the chaos of life through political movements or financial security, instead of lying awake at night in anxiety trying to figure out what your next step is, we as God's children must come to understand and believe that only the Lord can give to his beloved sleep. Solomon wrote in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, sweet is the sleep of a laborer. One commentator paraphrased it this way, God's gift comes to his loved ones as they sleep. I love that. God's gifts come to his loved ones as they sleep. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 4: In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, made me dwell in safety. So, unless our labor for the Lord is really for him, then our lives will be empty. But when we labor for the Lord, That's when we'll find our significance, our security, and our satisfaction. I read a story about a dad who took his little girl to work. It was bring your daughter to work day. And on the way there, his daughter seemed very, very excited. She was especially excited to meet his co-workers, and so he introduced her to each one of them. Then she watched him throughout the day, and then on the way home, they were driving, and the little girl seemed a little bit sad. The dad said, honey, didn't you have a nice time today? And she said, yeah, it was okay. But I thought it would be more like a circus. And her dad was a bit confused, and he said, well, sweetie, what do you mean? And she said, well, you said you work with a bunch of clowns, but I never got to see any of them. Oh, like that. But you know what, folks? Those clowns that we work with, the clowns that we live near, the clowns that we go to church with, the clowns that we interact with on a daily basis, see, those people need us to do the work, the work of the Lord that has been prepared beforehand for us to do. And so here's your challenge for the week. Instead of seeing everybody around you as a bunch of clowns, see yourself instead. No, not as a clown, but see yourself as a missionary. A missionary cleverly disguised as an employee. You're a missionary cleverly designed as as an office worker or as a truck driver or as a mill worker. You're a missionary cleverly disguised as a student You're a missionary, cleverly disguised as a neighbor. And each of us are on a mission, laboring for the Lord. This is your work. This is your vocation, your calling, your task. And as you meet this challenge, my prayer is that you might find real lasting significance and security satisfaction in the Lord. Let's pray together.